Owe no one anything except to love each other. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, I'm going to preach on this one verse from the epistle lesson for today. And I'm going to preach on it in two parts. The first part of the sermon will be on debt, what we owe. And the second will be on loving our neighbor. And then I will show how these things go together, how we're to understand these and learn from it. So Paul begins with this verse in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, saying, uh, Owe no one anything. Now, let me start out with a very uh, fairly obvious point that debt is not a good thing. As Christians, we ought to do everything we can to live within our means, within the, the means that God has given to us, to save our money, to simply pay for things for, in full if we can. And it's best not to get into debt in the first place. And so as a general rule and principle, this is what we should strive to do. However, with that being said, this verse is not saying that you can never go into debt for any reason whatsoever. So some have taken this verse to mean that you can't take out a loan, for example, or use or, or get a mortgage or use any credit card of any kind, something like this. But that's not true. That's not what this is saying. There are times when it's the only option you have. So like a mortgage, you buy a house, for instance. Uh, but the Bible isn't teaching that it's a sin to have debt. The Bible is teaching that it's a sin to not pay it back or to be unable to pay it back. This is what Psalm 37 says. It says, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. This isn't saying that it's wicked to borrow. It's wicked to borrow more than you can afford. Now, and, and, now, now this is the point. If you have any debt, you ought to pay it back. That's what Paul is saying here. If you have debt, that debt should be responsible and manageable. If you use a credit card, then you should be able to pay it back each month in full. Uh, living beyond your means and getting into debt by buying too many things or clothes or movies or games or outings or things like this is, uh, in fact, unwise. And it's one thing to take out debt to live. It's quite another thing to take out debt to live beyond your means or to live in a way that the Lord has not given you to live. Uh, by, by the way, remember um, that you don't really borrow money. You buy money in these ways. Uh, the interest that you pay on these things is the price of the money that you're borrowing or buying. Now, even if you're able to afford it, you should make sure to never have too much of anything just as a general rule of thumb for your life. That you don't want to get too attached to the things of this world because they will, as you know, turn to dust and be useless on your final day. Now, however, uh, if you have to go into debt, you should be able to repay that debt yourself in your own lifetime. This is, a, this is the warning that you don't take on a debt that you have no intention of repaying or getting into a debt that others will have to repay. So it, it would be very unwise and irresponsible for a father, for example, to voluntarily take out a debt in his lifetime to live a lavish lifestyle that is beyond his means and then simply leave it for his family to pay 
at his death to pay for the life that he lived and all of the money that he enjoyed. Now, uh, all of this teaching applies to what we're going through right now as a congregation, right now as a church. We're building a sanctuary. And it would be very unwise of us to take out a massive loan to build a church or a school that we know we can't repay in our lifetime. And then simply hand over that debt to future members of the church. What would happen there is that we would receive all of the benefit of a new building or, or whatever it is, and we'd take on none of the responsibility to pay it. And that is very unwise because it leaves our children in a terrible position. Just think about it. If, if every, just imagine if every congregation in our synod in the LCMS did this, that every congregation takes out a massive loan for several millions of dollars. They all build beautiful facilities and gymnasiums, things like this. They enjoy them for the final years or the, the rest of their lifetime without a care in the world because they simply will make the kids who are in Sunday school pay it when they get older. This was actually a trend a few decades ago. Uh, during the church growth movement, this was a thing. Churches adopted the philosophy from that movie, if you remember, Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. All right, so that was the, the, the philosophy. So churches would refinance their loans, extend the loan, take out another loan, get into more debt. They renovated the churches into some contemporary or modern space. They got everything they wanted. It was, it was beautiful uh, in these ways. But now... There's an entire generation of young Christian fathers and mothers who are struggling to make ends meet in this economy, whose generation is one of the most unbelieving and hostile to the Christian faith. And they have inherited the debt of Christians before them. And it's on them to pay off a debt that they did not take out. Now, I'll grant we can all grant that these loans were maybe done and taken out in good faith with good intentions for the sake of missions or evangelism or something. But good intentions don't erase that debt. They don't take away that burden. And what they've done is they've unwittingly enslaved a number of people to a burden. As Proverbs 22 says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, I'm saying all of this uh, because we're in the middle of building a new sanctuary, and I guess you could call this a stewardship sermon if you want. Uh, I would just call it a sermon, a regular sermon that's on the text. Uh, I'm not trying to fundraise from the pulpit. That's not what the pulpit is for. But what I will say uh, from the pulpit is what the Bible says. And this is what Paul says. This is what the Bible says. Oh, no, nothing to anyone. And the Bible says that we're to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So if, if we want a place to gather to worship God, to receive what he alone gives, to hear the pure preaching of the word, then we'll get it done. All, all throughout history, Christians have done this. They've needed a place to gather. And then for, in some way, somehow, they found a way to make it work, that they gather together all throughout the world. They put up uh, uh, posts and, and trees and cloth if they have to, but they gather together to hear the word of God. And so no matter what's going on in the world, we're going to find a way to do it. However, 
what we should what we should never do is solve our problems by giving them to somebody else. What we shouldn't do is take out a loan that we ourselves can't repay. We shouldn't make our dreams or vision someone else's nightmare. We shouldn't make decisions today that are going to weigh down and burden the pastor and the congregation of tomorrow, of the future. That we should strive as a, this congregation, all of you, all of us, we should strive as a congregation to leave the church in a better position than when we came to it. And we do this, of course, theologically, uh, but we do this also financially. That is what stewardship is. It is giving these things so that the preaching of the gospel remains. Now, we ought to do everything in our power to give our children and our children's children a sanctuary that they can gather together in as a refuge from this world. Uh, and that's what we need to do is establish this. Uh, so we get our own life in order and then we get our church in order. Paul says, owe nothing to anyone. And that includes your taxes. That includes your home, your bills, your family. And this even includes building a church. And because we are a church, it is then the responsibility of the church to see this through. It's not someone's job to foot the bill. It is our responsibility to do that. In other words, if you're sitting in a pew, if you're hearing the word of God and receiving the very body and blood of Christ, participating in the most profound way in the church in these ways, then that means you're a part of the church and all those in the church ought to contribute something to having and sustaining the church among us here. So that the, that the word would continue to be preached here in Winter Garden in this place. Now, of course, not everyone can give the same amount, but everyone can and ought to give something, some amount for this. And when you do, it's not to be out of compulsion, but joyfully and freely, knowing that what you are giving is nothing compared to what you are getting, to what you are receiving, which is the riches and the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that is the first part of the sermon, that we ought to strive to be debt-free as quickly as possible, if we have to be. Paul says, owe nothing to anyone. And then he continues by saying this, these words. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And this is the second part of the sermon. Do you see, Paul talks about your duty to repay all of the things you owe. And then he changes the conversation and speaks of a higher duty that you have. And that is the duty to love one another. He wants you to pay off all your debt to get that done and over with to do so that you could do better things with your money than owing people. But now, no matter how many debts you pay off, there is one debt that you cannot pay off. And that is what you owe one another in love. This is the point. Now, St. Paul talks about debt and then he paints our love for one another as a debt, as if we're indebted to one another. And this is a very, very strange thing because usually when we get into debt, it's because somebody has given you something first. Somebody has given me something first. So for example, if, I, if you give me $100, 
then I owe you $100. Nobody else does, but it's just between us. That's how it works. Or if you give me a car, then I owe you a car, whatever it might be. But Paul says that we owe love to others, even those we may have never even met before. So how can we owe something to a stranger? How, how do we even get into that debt to begin with? So this is what the Bible tells us. This is First uh, John chapter 4 says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, here it is, we also ought to love one another. So the Greek word there for ought is the same word that Paul uses there in Romans when he says, oh, it's the same word. So you could translate this as beloved, if God loves us, so also we owe love to one another or we are indebted to love one another because God has loved us. And then at the end of 1 John 4, John summarizes it this way. He says, we love because he first loved us. This is the command we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, the first thing here is that this is beautiful because this isn't saying that we ought to love one another in order for God to love us, but rather his love precedes our love, that because he has loved us first, then from that love we can love others. But this is still strange. This still doesn't answer the issue. Why? It's strange because you'd expect the Bible to say something like this. If God, uh, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love him. We are indebted to him then. We owe him love, right? That, that's what you would imagine comes next. Or you, that, shouldn't Paul be saying that we owe God now? Or shouldn't I consider myself in debt to Jesus? After all, Jesus was the one who died on the cross for me. Jesus was the one who spilled his blood for me. So don't I owe him? Don't, is it not that I have to give him what, what is due? Why do I owe you love? If God loved us. Why do you owe love to one another? If God is the one who loved us. Why do you owe love to me? If God is the one who loved us. This is the mystery of love. Because money is always paid back to the one who gave it. Right? But love can never be paid back. That's not how love works. This is because love is selfless and therefore love can't be paid back. If, if you love someone in order to be loved back, then it is not love anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a business transaction. It's an exchange. It's, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's an even thing. And we get this from Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But here I say, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That true love expects nothing in return. And this, dear saints, is how God has loved us. By the way, God's love for us is such a great and deep thing that we could never even begin to pay it back. We will never be able to love God as much as he has and always will love us. Christ purchased and won us from sin, death, and the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood, that I may be his own. Our sin is more than we could ever afford to pay back, but even then, our sins are finite. They're they're of a certain quantity, they're finite, but God's love is infinite, it abounds. So Isaiah chapter 40 says that we have received double for all of our sins. Twice the forgiveness, twice the love. And that means that if you sin this much, then God loves you this much. That if you sin this much, his forgiveness covers it twice as much. So you cannot sin or out-sin God's forgiveness. God is more forgiving than you are sinful. So when Christ died for the sins of the world, when Christ died for your sins, he put this entire world, every single person in this world, in a very unique debt of love. And he has shown us what love is by loving us first. He does all the work of salvation. Then he tells us, don't even try to pay it back to me. Instead, pay one another. Love one another. He tells us to love one another with the same love with which he loved us. And we're to love them not because they do nice things for us, not because they deserve it, or because they loved us first. No, we're to love them freely because of what God has already done for us in Christ when we didn't deserve it. Now, this is uh, kind of the last point here, but I want you to pay attention because this is remarkable. We will always owe one another love. Always. Even in the resurrection to eternal life. This is remarkable. The Bible says that faith will end. That hope will end, but it says that love never ends. (laughs) Why? Because the only way we can love each other with the same quantity with which God has loved us is if he gives us an eternal life to live, to love one another. And if it takes us forever, an eternity, an an unending amount of time, to love one another in the way that he loved us, then that shows you how much God loved you in that moment on the cross. How deep and profound his love for you was that we will never pay it back. That God loves you more than you can comprehend. So this, dear saints, is where your love comes from. This is the source of your love from the God who loved you first. If you cannot find love in your heart for whoever, for whomever it may be, then turn away from yourself and you look to the cross, 
You look to the heart of God, of Christ for you. And here you will find all of the love that you lack, all of the love you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, love your husbands and submit to them as to the Lord. Parents, love your children and train them up in the way they should go. Children, love and cherish and honor your parents. You dear Christians who receive the same body and blood of Christ in the chalice, you love one another as God has loved you. Love even those who are outside of this congregation. Those who may even be hostile to the word. As we build this sanctuary, we do it not only for those here today, but we build it for our future brothers and sisters whom we haven't even yet met and yet whom we love. We love those who are wandering aimlessly in this world, those who are being tossed back and forth by the waves of false teaching in this world, those who long for meaning and purpose, those who need a savior to forgive them and have mercy upon them. We do these works today to care for our neighbors whom we haven't yet met, and we give what we have now so that our dear neighbors will be found by the Lord who loves them and gave himself up for them. So, dear saints, owe no one anything except to love each other. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.